I wonder how good you are at waiting and waiting and waiting. Because that's all mariner David Pears could do when he found himself relying on the care of strangers while stuck on a remote island in the Kimberley after coming into contact with something potentially life-threatening. My name's Jess Ong, and this next tale of adventure comes from Spun Stories, a live storytelling night in Darwin. Well, I'll never forget, like 12 years ago, when I was getting a private flight through the Kimberleys, except it was with the Royal Flying Doctors, and credit to them. But, but at the time, I was first mate on a landing barge, just delivering fuel and stores and cargo through the remote areas of the Kimberleys. One of our runs was Trouton Island. It was a beautiful island, surrounded by a coral reef, about 16 k's off the mainland. Now, on this particular delivery voyage, there was spring tides and we are going to do some load of work on the, on the barge landing. It's basically like a sandy boat ramp. So we've gone in late one afternoon, dropped off the front end loader in the machinery, anchored the barge off in the channel, ready for an early start. Bright and early, me and myself and the engineer, crack of dawn, out there in the tinny, into, into the shore. So his job was the front end loader and I'm keeping the dinghy afloat. So it's about seven metres of tide range, so it just dries out there real quick. So my job was to keep the dinghy afloat and with the tide running out over the reef, several large resident crocodiles in the area, I was keeping the dinghy no more than knee-deep of water throughout the morning. So that required moving the anchor and the tinny over and over and over again just to keep it in the water. And then finally, about eight o'clock, tide's turned. This is the moment I've been waiting for all morning. See, there's four of us living on this boat. We've got one toilet, one shower, and they're tiny, about as big as this couch. So, I'm going to get to go up to the residence quarters this morning and go about morning business, undisturbed, looking over the ocean. <laughs> so back to the anchor shift. So out I go, I'm treading over the reef, walking out, which by then was about three times as far as this stage with all you people. And gone to grab the anchor and I'm steadying myself on the reef. If anyone's walked over the coral reef, you know how hard it is to walk out there barefoot. And put my hand down and feel a suction cap on my thumb. So I grabbed the anchor, looked over, and I've got my hand fair on this octopus. It's all of a sudden gone light blue circles all over it. So it was oh, not quite as big as my hand, but it was pretty bloody big. And if anyone knows how full on the debt blittering octopus are, I did. This is like, well, fuck, that was close. It didn't bite me. And if everyone's been bitten by a squid or an octopus previously, you know you've been bitten because it hurts like a parrot. So I thought, I carried the anchor ashore. I thought, geez, that was close. Didn't bite me. So I'm wandering up. It's 500 metres to the caretaker's residence. I look over, Paul's going flat out in the front end loader. I'm going for my morning shit. <laughs> I'm wandering up, and about 200 metres up dirt road, thinking that was close. Next thing I'm dizzy and nauseous, and I'm thinking far out. And I look around, I'm by myself. The rest of the crew, all two of them are on the barge sleeping, because they're too lazy. And so me and Paul were working, so I was like, do you hastily walk, run, whatever? I don't know. So I'm thinking, fuck, <laughs> 300 metres to go. Walk up there, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. So I made it to the door, 
knock, knock, knock on there. These people haven't seen anyone for four weeks. So you fucking, they open the door, the first thing they want to do is dork. So I've just walked straight through, laid on the floor in the lounge, knowing full well if it gets any worse, they're going to have to breathe for me. So I said, excuse me, I've just been touched a blue ring octopus, I'm feeling dizzy, nauseous, and if I pass out, please, you're breathing for me. And they're like, well, what else do we do? I said, just keep me fucking alive. <laughs> I said, um... <laughs> so, it's been a while, 12 years, so I've forgotten their names, but anyway, old mate and old mate's wife... <laughs> so... Old mate's wife's on the sat phone ringing the flying doctors like pretty well right then. And old mate's talking to me and describing what happened. I just put my hand on there, didn't feel a bite. Anyway, I'm not feeling right. And normally wouldn't even worry about this, but I was dizzy. So they rang there, the crew. And mind you, this is Easter Monday. Next, you know, she gets the phone. They won't be too long, just four hours. I'm like... Mind you, we're in the middle of nowhere now. It's four hours, like, righto. Next, you know, the ship's crew, the other two of them are on their way up, and we're all stuck in this little donger. I'm lying on the floor, they're looking at me like I'm some kind of specimen on the floor. <laughs> and so then the owners, uh, the other bloke, his wife, rings up the barge company, my boss, tells him what happened. How about I just divert an offshore helicopter for you, pick you up straight away and take you to the hospital? But there won't be anyone else, you'll just be cargo. Well, 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 what did I want to do? Well, I can't make a decision. So by then, at that time, I've got the remaining crew members standing there. No offence to anyone that's old, but the youngest was 55. So they're there. I thought I was panicking, because I was. My heart was just like beating, you could see it. And they're just chain smoking. So here I am. <laughs> If I need CPR, I'm going to get more cigarette smoke in my lungs right now than fresh air. So I said, I'll take my chances with the four of you guys. Best of luck, please. I've got a young family. So 10 minutes has gone by now, so I thought I'm still alive. I'll ring my wife, so I'm all okay. As far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm good. Ring my wife, didn't make things better. Said to her what happened. I've got four young spring chickens here, chain-smoking, looking after me. And don't fear. I don't remember what she exactly said to me that day, but she just remembers Terry Irwin who just lost Steve. And we had a young daughter. And here I am, laying on the floor. So then, I was all okay. The flying doctors arrived four hours later. Next thing you know, they've rolled through the door with a bloody mobile hospital. Super efficient, credit to them. Now they come, and within about 30 seconds, I had more sensors on than a V8 Land Cruiser on my chest. I had tubes poked in everywhere in my legs. I was strapped into the stretcher like a criminal and banged into the plane. Next thing I'm in the plane, all of in about 38 seconds. The plane flashes up, the nurse is running through, checking my blood pressure and all the other stuff, and I don't really remember, but all I just remember is a port engine just squealing its freaking head off. So I'm strapped in the stretcher, like a straitjacket, and the engine's like, I don't like flying, and they stop the plane. So here I am, finally got safety here, plane breaks down. 
and I can only just twist my head because I couldn't move my shoulders at all. And I look over and there's my engineer, because back, this is 12 years ago, so work health and safety wasn't strict. So the, Paul's there, thongs, shorts, no shirt, my engineer, and helping the pilots fix the plane. So I was like to the nurse, I've lived through today, you're gonna give me a fucking heart attack if he's fixing the plane. Can we, can you let me know what he's doing? It's okay, pilots are doing the work, okay. He looks like he's got the spanners, but, so next thing you know, they've shut the fuselage, planes flashed up, no more squealing, it was just a loose belt, they told me, and off we went. So then, all day, I mean, then I literally just passed out in the plane, I don't remember, I woke up in Derby. I said, here we are, checked in Derby Hospital, and that whole day, I've just thankfully hang on to what I was going to that caretaker's office for the first start in the morning. <laughs> it was just like the biggest relief that afternoon when I thought, I'm alive. Still didn't get to hang it like a nice morning pleasure, undisturbed, it was never undisturbed. But anyway, credit to the people that did help me through focusing and, and maintaining my sanity and trying to remain calm because it's not easy when you know that anything can happen right now and you, you can't prepare for it, you're just going to pass out. David obviously survived as he shared this story at Darwin Festival in 2019 where the theme was entwined. We really love the thought of stories from our tropical town wandering into ears all around the world, especially at times like this where we aren't really travelling like we used to. But we need your help to get our podcast out and about even more. So if you like what you've heard, we'd love a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Your tick of approval is the most important thing and we appreciate all of your support and TLC. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head to our website spunstories.net or search for Spun Stories on Facebook or Twitter. This episode came together thanks to the skills of story producer Laurie Uden. The music you heard was composed by Sam Carmody with sound editing by Hamish Robertson and sound production by Gaya Osborne. Spun Stories podcast is one of the projects that comes out of the Creative Production House Story Projects and Darwin International Airport generously provides funding support. At Spun, we acknowledge and are grateful to our first storytellers, the Larrakia people, the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather to connect through story. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening. <laughs>